I always thought of success as being at the most prestigious place. The tags that you wear are really important to, you know, really shape who you are. So going to a top MBA program, going to a top business school and a top even consulting company was always like, oh, this is how I know I'm going to be successful. But I often found that I, you know, it's even, it might even be more simple than that. Welcome to Successful, the podcast, a show about the stories of women redefining success. We're your hosts. I'm Carla. And I'm Natalie. Like you, we're two career women figuring out the meaning of success. In each episode, we bring you our stories and the stories of other women who are redefining success in life, in work, and on their own terms. Hello, Natalie. Hey, Carla. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Good. Yeah? It's good to see you. It's good good to to chat with you. It's been a while. I know. It has. You live in your your Mexican dream life. I know. I I know that we haven't recorded an episode since I moved to Mexico, so that's a pretty big piece of news for our listeners. Just a minor one. Just a little one. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. But it's it's not permanent. So my husband and I, you know, as you know, we're we're nomads, and we typically live that nomad life in a camper in the United States. But we've been itching to get out of the United States and you know go travel more internationally, become global nomads, and so we finally found a some very kind parents to take care of our big dog, <laughs> which honestly sounds like a little deal, but it was a big deal. That, that was, that's been one of our greatest obstacles in traveling more internationally. Um, and so, yeah, so we hit the international road and moved to a beautiful, beautiful, very magical place in Mexico called San Miguel de Allende. It's in the state of Guanajuato and it's a, it's a world heritage site and it is just absolutely beautiful. Like, oh, I, it's so pretty. I Your can't pictures. Even describe uh, it. Yeah. It is so colorful. A magical, magical place. Yeah. So so yeah, we're here and time is going by way too fast. I really needed to slow down because I am going to kick and throw a temper tantrum when we have to leave. I already know it. <laughs> I I yeah, I don't know how you do it. Going to all these different places and you just seem like you love this place so much. It's just so gorgeous. I do. And I I have so much love for the area too, since I lived there when I was a teenager briefly in the same state. And I just know how hard it is to leave, but you'll always have it and you can always go back. Exactly. I have no doubt that we'll be spending more time in Mexico since since this is where where I I grew up. And yeah, it's been awesome to reconnect with with my home country, you know, Um, since I lived most of my adult life in the United States, it's been really special to be back to the country where I grew up as a child and as a teenager. And I have no doubt that it's going to be more and more a part of our travels. So yeah. And shameless plug for you just real quick before we move off of this is all of the great blog posts. Oh, um, thank you. You've been writing. (laughs) (laughs) I I have to plug it because I've been reading them, but you've written so many great posts while you've been here. I really appreciate that. It's funny. The city, there's something in the city. I don't know if it's something in water, 
there's something in the air. There's something in the culture that just inspires creativity. So my husband, Noah, has been painting like with watercolors. What? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, he has. And I've always loved to write, but most of my writing has been in the corporate space. (laughs) Like I have to write, not I want to write. And being here has just, gosh, like opened up this side of me that I'm like, I just want to write. I want to spend all my time writing. And so I am writing a novel, uh, my first novel, which takes place in Mexico, but that's a very long, long road ahead. Um, but I wanted to, to also write something that was creative and more capturing the the moment um, and capturing our travel. So I have a, yeah. a Substack newsletter or publication, um, which I'm happy to add to the show notes if anybody's interested in, in following that. Following yeah, that we'll writing. absolutely do that. Yeah, just a, a heads up for you since you'll be reading it. Um, I'm writing the next ep- the next uh, article is about a very interesting meal that we had last weekend where we only ate dishes based on bugs on insects. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and if I remember correctly, because I think you posted one of you posted about this on social media, it was like one of the most delicious things you've ever eaten. Was there? There was one dish. Um, that had ant eggs, mm-hmm. which are like a, you can almost think of it as like a caviar. Yeah, they have that kind of that consistency. And it was really delicious. Actually. Interesting. Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun writing that that article. I so, can't wait to read it. Thank you for that plug. Yeah. I appreciate that plug very much. And all uh, of this Mexico you? talk, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. um, let's see. Well, not on the topic of Mexico, because I am not, sadly, in Mexico. But things are good. Um as you guys probably know, I'm getting married soon and it, all my free time <laughs> beyond working um, has been dedicated to planning the wedding and then making my wedding dress because I have taken that on willingly <laughs> to yeah. some people's horror. Um, I, I will not name names. Thank you. Oh, names. So there are people that think this is a good idea. Interesting. I think I'm a little crazy, but I think it's crazy in a good way because it's, I have learned so much. Like, I love sewing, but this is like next, next level. And can you imagine, like, if you, I mean, I'm assuming you'll keep this dress, if you ever pass it on to, you know, future generations, like, Mm -hmm. how special, how much more special that item is going to be as an heirloom? In your family. Super special. Yeah. Yeah. Super special if it doesn't fall apart by the time that I <laughs> get down the aisle. <laughs> hey, and if it does, it's a sign of a good party, right? I guess so. Well, yeah. When I was in my sister's wedding, I had gotten the dress altered and it was so tight. Like they they tightened the top because it was so loose before. So they tightened the top and put a little clasp in the bust to hold the top down. Her wedding was in Costa Rica. It was super hot and we were all dancing. It was like a big dance party. And at some point I like opened my arms to do a dance move and the um, clasp popped open, revealing oh. my bra and everything <laughs> at my sister's wedding. So oh that won't be happening because it's not designed like that. But yes, yeah, um, it has happened in the past. Oh, but um, I've had nightmares about not finishing it, but I've got, I'm two months out now and I'm very close to being done. So we'll get there. It's really looking. We'll I mean, you showed me pictures last week, mm-hmm. and it's looking like you can tell what it's gonna like. It looks look like, like a dress, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. wait to see such photos. a journey. I know. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see it done either. Yeah. Oh man. But 
So who do we have on the show today? Today, we have our mutual friend, Stephanie. She is a former colleague of both Mm -hmm. of us. Um, I think you got to know her quite a bit better than me, but her and I actually started at the company around the same time, so about six years ago. Yeah. And And you got to know her in the office. I did, yeah. I mean, I I remember seeing her speak at an event for Mm -hmm. um, International Women's Day, and that was the first time that I, I knew about her, and I was just so impressed by her. And then I don't know how we ended up talking so often, but we we ended up having these monthly calls. Like we've probably been having monthly calls to just catch up and just kind of support one another. I mean, they're still going on, even though neither one of us is working at that, that same company. And I think we've been talking for like maybe a year or more, maybe two years. I don't know. Time has flown, but yeah, it she does. has become just one of these constant presences in mm-hmm. my life, you know, where I, I'm, I've been following her career. She's been following mine. Um, and and I think, I mean, I know we both think that she just has such a phenomenal story and such a, Incredible. Such a wealth wealth of, of knowledge and um, just really valuable uh, perspectives to share. Yeah. As, as a woman, as a successful professional, now as a student. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to, to go into this talk and have yeah. our audience get to know her more. She's amazing. And I know I learned so much chatting with her. She really gave me some things to think about. So yeah. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this. Yeah, let's get to it. I will start from the very beginning. I was born in Mexico City, which at that time It was the largest city in the world, and I moved to Texas when I was three years old to a very, very small town. So I feel like I've gotten both extremes of the big city life and the small town life, and you know, pretty much have lived in Texas most of my life. I went to undergrad to UT Austin, which is the same place where Natalie went to, so a big hook'em. Hook'em horns. (laughs) And... After Austin, I went to Dallas to start working in in consulting, which was really close to where my family lived. They're only a couple hours away from Dallas, so that actually fit in quite nicely. I feel like growing up, I was, of course, first gen, the oldest sister of, um, of three, so I have two younger brothers, but also the oldest of the cousins, which if you can kind of start to imagine the farm life of having your aunts and uncles and cousins all living sort of on the same property. Everyone was like, no pressure, Stephanie, you are going to be the first one to graduate from college. And, you know, all, all of our aims are like on you to really set the, the stage. And I was like, yep, there's no pressure at all. <laughs> so I think being able to show representation like as a whole to the Latin community was very important for me from the start, just because I knew that my family was counting on that. And my brothers too, for example, were counting on that. So I remember times where I was like, what is FAFSA? And what is this stuff? And a bunch of things culturally that didn't really make sense to, to my mom and dad. But I think that really helped shape who I am today you go through a bunch of different challenges, but there are so many people you can tap into and resources that you can really seek out to. So how can you be proactive even when you don't have the resources like in front of you was probably the biggest learning point to me. So 
just like trying to be proactive all the time. So there's no excuses. If you don't have resources, like go find them. We're in this very, very nice country that gives you obviously a lot of different opportunities where you can say that. I was just like, all right, let's do this sort of American dream style. So first day at a technology company. Whoa. <laughs> like if being Hispanic was sort of like already the side where I thought I didn't fit in sort of like in a college life, then I was like, well, now like I see the the gender gap too and just all the different gaps of just being in a technology company, for example. So a lot of different learning points, but I was just so excited to work at my first big girl job and was there for five years before where I am today, which is at the University of Virginia getting my MBA now. So it's been it's been a fun journey. <laughs> yeah, what an amazing story, Stephanie. I can't imagine that pressure. <laughs> of being not just the oldest within your nuclear family, but also all the cousins. Right. Um, and the fact that your family said, no pressure, but here's exactly what we're expecting from you. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I can imagine that was exciting, you know, to, to have that uh, kind of like a shared vision of your future with your family, but I'm sure it also added some of the, the pressure. One of the things that I loved about your story when I first met you was the fact that you're a dreamer. And so I'd love to kind of just hear from you, like what that means, how that has shaped your identity as a, as a professional, as a Latina woman in the United States, because I think that that's something that's so unique and so powerful about about, you know, your, your story and, and, and not just your story for you, but also the story that other people also need to hear. And I think before we get into that, just defining what a, what a dreamer is, because I, I know we know that, but not everybody does. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Natalie. So there was a program that was introduced by President Obama that basically allows certain individuals to have, you can think about it as a temporary residency, sort of where you apply in an increment of, it's it's now three years, it used to be every two years into this program where it allows you to have things like a driver's license and a social security number, for example. So it does create like a, a legal status for a lot of people in the country, right? So um, it's unfortunately not a pathway to citizenship. So it doesn't work like a green card, for example, where then one day you'll have the right to vote, for example, and the right to a lot of other things. So there are some limitations within the program that I, I hope can get fixed in the future. I think in terms of the impact that that program has made on my life, I think it brings me back a little bit to, to high school when I was like, well, I don't know what FAFSA is. And then like, oh, wait, like I can't even apply for FAFSA. And then there's a bunch of other things I can't also apply. For. I can't also apply for seeing the different limitations that you that you have even being in the program was a little shocking to me uh, from a financial perspective, for sure. So I had to before even going to UT, I started a, at a community college, just from the fact that like, hey, this is reality, like you can't pay for a large four-year university like UT and, you know, just get in all this debt. And there's a bunch of loans you can't even apply to because it only applies to certain individuals. Um, so that, that was for sure a big shocker of I've done all the different requirements and got a good GPA and, you know, was 
you know, a, 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 you could say a leader held leadership positions and, and tried to do community service and a bunch of other things, right, that you hope will make this story compelling for, for when you apply to colleges. And I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> but you don't have the financial aspect, which is very important. So starting off at a community college was actually probably the best idea. So uh, I think it was actually a, a benefit to me more than a, a harm. I think initially people think, oh, community college, you go there if you want to get like only your associates and maybe you won't go far in life. And I think it's just a big stereotype that's very unfair. But that allowed me to get introduced to these like amazing, amazing professors that I don't even know. Just the comparison of community college professors is just like so rich because they're right with you next door. They probably live in the same community, know the same people that you do. So I found amazing professors at the community college level. So I'm a big advocate for community colleges. And the I would say the turning point probably in my life is when I met a, a professor, Melissa. She was basically like, hey, you should apply to the scholarship called the Jack Kent Cook Scholarship. I was like, oh yeah, like they probably give out like a thousand, two thousand dollars, like both scholarships. That's a lot of money. She was like, no, it's actually a thirty thousand dollars scholarship for up to three years once you transfer out of community college. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you need to be like super smart, like the best of the best of the best. Like there's no way <laughs> I can even think of applying. And she was like, well, I, she's like, I don't know that I buy your argument because you don't know what you don't know. If you don't apply to it, like you're not going to know the outcome of it. So why don't you just try to get in and, you know, just give it your best shot. She's like, what's the worst that can happen? You get that letter and it says no, and you just keep applying to other scholarships. She's like, you know what? You've got a point. So I end up applying to this program that really had no restrictions, whether you were DACA, you could be a U.S. citizen, you could be completely like undocumented. It did not matter at all. Fast forward like seven months later, because it was a long application process, I ended up getting the scholarship. <laughs> and it was such an amazing point in my life where I was like, all right, breaking barriers. Like, I love this theme in my life. Like, let's do this. <laughs> that was when I transferred to UT. And I was like, did I just get into my dream school and with the full ride scholarship? <laughs> so for my parents, it meant a lot. But I think the biggest part for me was like, I can really start to show people that even if you come from a disadvantaged background, even if you, you know, come from a background where you maybe don't have enough financial resources to you know, continue your your next path or your goals. Like there, there is a way, at least in this country, right, where you can find certain resources for it. So that for me was a game changer, and actually where I am today at, at UVA for for business school, they're even paying for my for my business degree as well. So that scholarship foundation has been with me since my my early early days. I had no idea that that was your journey, and it. It's so incredible. And I think I'm seeing a theme here for you, not only your just persistence, I think, and resilience, which is so admirable, but also utilizing your support system. You talking about, you know, your community college community and those people who helped you and kind of pushed you, it sounds like, to even take that scholarship. Yeah, it, it definitely was. It was also really nice finding 
the first set of people, and I probably had teachers in high school that enabled this, but I don't think you really think about your future, your five-year, 10-year plan, whatever, until probably once you start college and then you think, oh, wow, like I need to make adult decisions. <laughs> and this is getting really complex. Like what what resources can I tap into? Like for me, it was definitely my professors and having someone who says, yes, I believe in you, but also having someone that says, yes, I'm willing to spend like my time and resources on you was a big thing in my head that was like, well, if someone else believes in me and they've got their own families and kids, but they're deciding to invest their time into me, that also means I need to value myself a lot more than what I have and really trust that I can get the scholarship and trust that I can think big. Maybe I've just been thinking too small and I need to like expand my reach. So yeah, professors were definitely a, a big part of my my journey. I'm hearing a little bit of a, a theme that, that, that Natalie and I have chatted about and something that, that you know, I think so many of us experience, which is the, the imposter syndrome, right? Like this mismatch between how we view ourselves and how others view us, right? Others tend to view the greatness in us and we tend to sometimes, for some reason, not see that in the same way as, as other people. I'm curious to know how that experience when you were starting going into college and kind of the the changes in your self-perception, you know, realizing that, oh, if other people are seeing, you know, my abilities and are believing in me, maybe I should too. How did that support you? How did that viewpoint or perspective support you when you moved into corporate, which as you mentioned, can be a little bit of a scary place? Yeah, it was. Imposter syndrome is so real. <laughs> so I remember being on this team at my old company. It was a group of about 50-ish people. And I thought, big project, big activities, a lot of work, hopefully a lot of fun. (laughs) And there were only like five women on that project. And for me, it was so shocking that the gap was just right in front of my face. And you know, you always hear in the tech industry, you'll see less women and less Hispanic. So for me, I I, I knew that coming into the industry. I, I guess I, I was a little bit aware of it. But I think actually being in there and seeing the lack of representation of women was a little bit discouraging from this was probably my very early days as an analyst. So you typically in consulting start off as an analyst your first, you know, like two or three years. So I didn't have that much experience to really say, oh, in my last project, I learned not to do that. So like, make sure to speak up when you don't see that representation sort of structure and support system around you. It really starts to deter your, it really just I would say disincentivizes you from maybe speaking up or saying things that are probably really valuable to the team, but you're like, oh, there's all these men who are dressed up in all these fancy suits. And here I am carrying my pink Kate Spade, pur- Kate Spade purse. And who's going to take me seriously? Because like there are no other purses on the table And like, where is my voice? So I would say I struggled a lot with that project and just trying to find the confidence to speak up when I saw that maybe we were doing a certain process wrong, or maybe I had a suggestion of how to do it differently. I think that's, that was really important when I became manager. 
and started leading teams in, in my projects was, Stephanie, you cannot do this. <laughs> there are times where you begin sourcing team members and saying, who do, who do I need to look for to fill these certain spots? But it's so important to put representation on the table so that people don't feel like they can't speak up and can't provide their own ideas and perspectives because there's not other people like them on the table. So it's, yeah, it's definitely very real, but I think it's up to people like us to really try and pay that forward and place that representation where where it should be. And I think there's something so interesting about being in this industry that you were in that, that I'm in currently is the the project aspect of it makes it so cyclical, right? So I know from myself, I was on a project with all men, all men. I was the only woman, so kind of like you. And it was the first time I had been on a project with all men. And the dynamics were so different. Like they all wanted to stay until 9 p.m. at night. And I was like, what about eating? (laughs) What about taking care of ourselves? (laughs) And now on the flip side, where I'm right now, all women, which is also fascinating. So I think there's just a balance that needs to be struck between the two. But it was so much harder to be in a space where you are the only one. Yeah, I I think so too. I almost feel like when you don't have that representation too, it almost makes you a target for certain elements So I remember thinking, are they asking me to take notes because I'm one of the only women at the table or is it because I'm a new analyst? And then I looked around the room and I was like, wait, but there's four other analysts in the room and like, why is it me that has to take the notes? Is it because I'm really good at taking notes or is it because of the perspective of like, she can probably write pretty and organize things nicely and like, that's what I need. The the woman can do this. And then the men can like drive the conversation. It just distracts you from getting things done because you're constantly thinking about the, what was your real intent? And for me, that's always been very important for, you know, just to come across and say, Hey, like, what are, what, what's the pure intent of like these like roles and responsibilities? Like, what do we really want to drive? How do we best like allocate people based off their like pure skills instead of the stere- the preconceived like maybe stereotypes? Yeah, and, and those things are often so um, they're so deep in your subconscious that people probably aren't even thinking about it, and that's what's even more scary because when you if you confront them about it, they're like, "Well, I didn't make that choice thinking about it." Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I think it you become so used to it too that it almost becomes sort of like this habit that you need to incorporate into your daily life. And I, I don't I don't know for how long that's going to be fair to, to a woman. So I had actually, as part of my MBA program, we had a conversation about, you know, how you sit and how you like may want to present yourself amongst a group of people. And then we had like a debriefing session and I had one with a guy and I was like, well, as a woman, like, I have definitely decided to like wear heels just to be taller. I've definitely decided to like maintain a posture because I'm, I'm a woman. So if I slouch, it's perceived differently than if I guy slouches, like he may be looked as like, Oh, he's cool. And like knows his stuff. So let's not ask him questions. But if I slouch, it's like, she doesn't care. So I was like, I definitely pay attention to my body language and yeah, it's like, is it is it fair? Is it is it not fair? Like, why 
why do we get to interpret things differently for like men versus women? So I've been doing that for such a long time that, you know, even right now as we're doing this podcast, I'm like maintaining my posture because I've been doing it for such a long time. So um, yeah, it's just, it's become just like really, really a deep part of like who I am too. For me, it's so interesting to hear both of your stories because I have to say that my experience has been different from very early in my career, my my superiors, my bosses, and my team members around me. And maybe it's because of the industry that I was in, which was communications early on. It, it def- I definitely had more women around me in positions of um, of management, you know, of leadership. And so that for me was um, was just kind of the norm. And so when I'm hearing stories from other women that say the only people on my project were men, that that that's a very different you know experience than than what I had. But but you're absolutely right. I mean the reality, especially in, in sectors like technology, um, there still there are still more men in in those different industries, and so there are still women younger than us that are starting out their careers and that are facing many of the same scenarios um, than you both did. So. I'm curious to know from you both what, like, if you could almost like advise your 22 year old self, you know, however old you were when you were going into your first job, what, what would you advise um, that version of you? And, and I guess by in turn, women, young women that are in similar positions today. Yeah, I have so many thoughts that are running through my head. I think the biggest one may be finding finding that role model that like super powerful like wonder woman super woman role who you can really look up to and just being able to like shadow them through various different parts of their journey was always very important and i'm looking back and the professor who i mentioned woman um another professor that i have in mind as well also a woman, but then there's been also a bunch of men that have, of course, um, inspired my life as well. But I think there's just different ways that I try. It's almost like back to the find your board of directors type of people, like different people can serve different roles and functions. But I feel that whoever serves the role of inspiring you to be that person who is a trailblazer, who like breaks the stereotypes And there were a bunch of women too, when I joined consulting where I was like, wow, like I, I want to be that badass woman. (laughs) I want to be just like her, you know, navigating the negotiations and she's still the only woman amongst the group of like the five decision makers, but she was like rocking and killing that. But I, I don't know what happened behind the scenes for her to get there. But she was, you know, 10 years older than me. So I'm like, maybe, maybe it is just, you know, finding someone who can, who you just like kind of shadow throughout their journey and just grow with them. And also, you know, grabbing time with them and saying like, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what are the different challenges? Cause I don't think we have these conversations enough. So things like this podcast and really getting to hear the behind the scenes stories is always very nice. So I, I would say that's probably my biggest advice of something I wish I would have done even more of saying, okay, you want to go to business school undergrad, 
all right, well, starting in high school, like find someone who's already in business school, who's like that badass woman in undergrad and maybe even like from UT, but wherever, whatever, whatever other school you can find who you, you may want to be one day that way you can find some, some inspiration, but also tactics. Cause everything's so like action oriented of like, maybe you need to do this, or maybe you need to try this out. So that's, that's definitely what I wish I would have done more. Oh my gosh. I've been thinking that that's obviously a great one. I think as I've grown in my career, that's become even more valuable. And I think that's what our relationship has become a lot, Carla, just throwing things off of you since you're out of it now. I'm like, what about this? What should I do here? It's so important. And like hearing your horror stories even, like that's such a great learning opportunity when we share the things that didn't go right. And I have plenty of those stories. (laughs) But um. I am the kind of person who calls out things to my detriment. Like if I see something that's like wrong, um, I speak up, which is great, but you have to be really careful when you do it. Um, I've gotten in trouble more times than I can count um, by speaking up about something that I thought was wrong, which was wrong, but you just have to be really cautious about the way you do it, especially as a woman um, because you will be perceived in a certain way. So it's it's another one of those things where you have to hold in mind, like what are those internalized views that people have of like young women in the workforce and how does that impact how your message is coming across? It's just more burden that you have to think about, but it, it still remains true to this day. And I always think, Natalie, is it their responsibility to get to know me better or is it my responsibility to show them that, these are not the right stereotypes. I always, I always am like, I, I don't know which one's right. It's, it's both. And I think we end up taking more of the responsibility for it since we're the ones who see it and confront it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's such a great point. Which is super tricky. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Um, probably not as much as a woman, although that does go hand in hand with you know just who I am, but also as a Mexican. Um, which is one thing that, that really connects us, Stephanie. I also was born in Mexico City, like you, um, and I'm constantly thinking, you know, more on the on, in that respect, you know, from the perspective of ethnicity, you know, like how much do I speak up about it um, and defend and promote my heritage, um, and how much do I hide it? You know, like should I be hiding it in some in some instances? because of what stereotypes might exist in other people's minds. And so I think there's some corollaries there between um, gender and ethnicity. And, and certainly the, the ethnicity piece is, is usually very top of mind for me. Um, so it's interesting to hear your perspective, Natalie, on, on you know, speak, speak up, but also it's sad that there's got to be those pauses of, oh, but how's that going to come off? You know, what are people going to say? How is that going to damage my relationships? I don't pause very often, though. It's always after the fact. Well, I've always admired that you speak <laughs> up because that's something I don't feel I do enough, um, and it's so important. Yeah, and it that's a really good point to bring up about um, not only gender but ethnicity. I mean, obviously, I'm white, and I have a lot of privilege in that because I know a lot of women who are just used to letting things slide because they're like, I don't want to be the loud X demographic woman, you know? I don't want to be perceived as a a bleep. Yeah. 
Are we going to have curse words on this? I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> there's so many other things that beyond just being a woman impacts how you interact with people, you know, on your team and in, in life. So, yeah. And I think what you said earlier, Stephanie, is so important around like it's our like it's our role. Like it shouldn't have to be just our role as women to lift other women. And I'm glad that you mentioned that there are men in your life that also have mentored you. I have as well. I've had some phenomenal um, male leaders that have really helped me in, in my career. Um, but but it is important that we realize that, you know, we're we're getting older. We're older than we were when we were in our 20s. And, and it is a responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility, but especially ours as women, as Latina women to not just wait until younger generations reach out to us and ask us for advice or to shadow us to your earlier point, but that we proactively are reaching out ourselves and saying, hey, you know, how can I help you? How, how can I support whatever you're going through um, and be proactive and being mentors? And that is a really good reminder to me, honestly, because I am not in uh, the corporate environment anymore where that just very naturally happens. I don't have, you know, the counselees, we, we call them at, you know, where we, where we work, where I worked, but, you know, I'm, I'm no longer in that world, but it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be proactively looking out for, for younger generations and um, just offering to, to be of support in, in whatever way I can. So thank you for that. That's been a very good reminder to me. Yeah. The support system part, I think is the, the most important aspect of it. And I yeah. think about that. I don't even remember who told me the term of the find your board of directors. Like everyone has a different role in your life, but I carry that with me so much of, yeah, there's different points in your life where you may need like the more, you know, the person who could just mentor you towards like you, the mental challenges that you're having of like maybe not being able to like fit in quite well, which I've struggled with that even in my master's program. And I was like, why am I struggling more than I did in UT? <laughs> um, or, you know, so it's just different periods and, and times, but I, I do think that support system is so important, but I think if we're not getting the support system that we need, then we just have to be more proactive around it too. And trying to search for the right group of people that can help us along the way. So whether that's professors or reaching out just making a bold move on on LinkedIn, which I definitely have. Um, sometimes low success rates, sometimes high, <laughs> but it's it's definitely important for us to be very proactive about reaching out for help. Which I think sometimes I've done a very poor job of reaching out for help, thinking that it it's gonna allow people to think that like I don't know what I'm doing or that I'm just inexperienced and it's either I reach out for help or I get put behind even further. So just being proactive about that searching process of support systems is, is super key. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned um, your master's degree, and that is something that I wanted to ask you about because you made the very bold move, what was it, almost a year ago? No, last summer. Well, last summer, yeah, because we started with the new school year to leave your corporate world that you worked so hard to build, you put that on pause, or who knows, maybe left it behind, you know, wh wherever your future is taking you. And then you decided to move into becoming a student again, which I think is so brave. 
I'd love to know just kind of what the journey and thought process was like for you of deciding to just make that very bold move in your life. Yeah. So we actually just started exams and this is the point where I'm like, why did I do an MBA program? (laughs) But outside of exams, you know, typically these are my responses. I felt like in the corporate life, you get very caught up. It's, you know, same conversations that we're having about like being a woman. Do you want a race to be there? Is this a sprint versus a marathon? I think I was getting very caught up on just like the path to MD. What is the best way that I can get there? And I was like, is this really what I want? Or is this what my bubble wants? Because I'm always in this one circle of like, working for my company and for my clients, but there's other stuff in my life that's happening. Like what else is out there that I don't really get a chance to explore because I'm, I'm sure Natalie goes through this because of time. <laughs> you only have time Monday through Friday to just dedicate this to your client. And then if there's time in the weekends, all you just want to do is watch something on Netflix, read a book, like just de-stress. And then you're like, okay, Sunday scaries are back. (laughs) But I felt like the MBA process or the the MBA experience was basically a way for me to rethink about what my goals are outside of just using the weekends. I think there's value in the network that you build through an MBA program of other very ambitious people who have really bold ideas to want to change certain industries. It was a lot about what does Stephanie want to do? What are the goals and values that that Stephanie wants to like bring forward for herself instead of what are the goals for, for my client? So it, I feel like there's a lot of me time within this MBA program that is just going to put more value into what I want to do next. I don't know what I want to do next, but it has been helpful to redefine those values for, for, yeah, for, for who I am. What an amazing time in your life to invest in yourself and to be true to yourself. I love that you recognize that you were getting into a place where you were performing to meet other people's expectations. And were it it almost sounds like maybe you were losing sight of, of, you know, your values and and what future you wanted for yourself, not what other people wanted. And, And really that, that really captures really nicely the essence of why Natalie and I are doing this podcast, which is this idea of, always questioning what does success mean for me not does not, not what does it mean for my parents what does it mean for my boss what does it mean for my partner but what truly does success mean for me um, and so I'm curious to know like how has your definition of success evolved from when you were in corporate to how you view it now yeah that's a good question so I always thought of success as being at the most prestigious place, the tags that you wear are really important to, you know, really shape who you are. So going to a top MBA program, going to a top business school and a top even consulting company was always like, oh, this is how I know I'm going to be successful. But I often found that I, you know, it's even, it might even be more simple than that. If I learn something in the process And it allowed me to sort of reflect, like sort of get like an aha moment. I feel like that is, you know, more of the definition of success for me now today. I think I'm just trying to value about like what I want and let that be the leading indicator that takes me to the next step. So 
that's been very hard to hold on to because in the business world, it's all about the big names and the big brands. So I'm like giving myself like slaps in the face all the time of like, nope, wake up, wake up. This is not you. This is not why you're here. (laughs) Um, Like turn yourself around, like, you know where you're going and it only matters that you care about this path, not other people. I love that you're using your MBA program as this path to self-discovery. I feel like my perception of NBA is so not like that, but I love that you're taking the time to use it to further develop where you want to go. I love that. And even these things that maybe they seem small, like these shifts in perception around what is success, that's a huge gain, trying to move away from that external validation and going more towards that internal validation. So it sounds like you're making big strides in it already. And it's hard <laughs> because yeah, it is hard constantly. And and I've said from the beginning, your intent is to try to find that dream industry, that dream type of like people you want to impact. Like let that be the goal. Like who do you want to impact instead of the brand of a company? And yeah, it becomes so hard being in the business world where you know people are so concerned about oh, consulting, like I want to go for the biggest brand. Oh, investment banking, like I want to go for the biggest name in the industry. And then, you know, you get in there and you're like, oh, wait, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. (laughs) What's happening? Those are all external rewards. Yeah, that's something that I talk talk about with my um, clients quite a bit in in my coaching business. It's about the difference between external and internal rewards, you know, because so often we define success by the external rewards, how much money we make, to your point, Stephanie, what company, what's the reputation of the company, or what's the industry, what are people saying about me? And those are all very motivating factors, but they're very temporary. What's really fulfilling is are the internal rewards. Um, and and what we call that in, in, in coaching is, is really mastering is really having mastery. Mastery is about exactly what you said, which is learning from a situation. It's developing skills. It's finding fulfillment in the joy of doing things, not because of the external rewards, but because you're growing. You know, So that means that when you make a mistake, it's not a mistake. It's a phenomenal learning opportunity. And that when we can really adopt that, that mindset um, and really start to match how we view success to that mindset, that's, that's when we can really gain mastery in our lives, you know, over ourselves and in the situations we're in. So I love that. To wrap up, you know, I would love to know just what, what advice would you would you impart to, to maybe to your younger self or to other young women or Latina women um, about how they should be thinking about, um, about success and or how they should be discovering what success means for them. One big theme that my scholarship foundation always emphasizes is think big, work hard, achieve. And the think big part was really important for me. And I always thought, oh, I want to get a degree. Like I want to go to college. It was like, all right, think bigger. Like what is your interim goal? Or for me, it was like, oh, I want to get a scholarship. And then I had a friend who was like, well, just go straight for a full ride, like apply to schools where they have, you know, just these higher rates of giving people full rides that come from your background. And I was like, oh, wait, I think you're right. Like I I need to aim big. So I think expanding the vision 
or goals or ideas that you have in mind. I think sometimes we get so caught up with, all right, I'm going to take this baby step first and then this baby step next. But I almost wonder how different would my life have been if I would have aimed super, super high. So for me, my big goal, what I thought was big was going to UT, but was there a bigger goal beyond that? Like, could I have gone further to like a Stanford, but I never thought of expanding my scope outside of Texas because I was like, oh, from a funding perspective, economically, it doesn't make sense. And UT was such a great choice for me. But I just think of the, you know, what would have happened if I would have thought a little bit bigger than that? That always carries with me of like, be true to yourself, be true to the goals that you want, not what other people want, but still always try to aim really, really big and expand your vision as much as you can, because you you sometimes tend to put limitations on on yourself just based on how you perceive things in your own perspective. So expanding that reach, I think, is, is very important. So I think even right now, just reflecting right now, I, I'm thinking, oh, like I want to join a company so that one day I can have my own company. Well, should I just go you know, head in and just launch my own company? Maybe that's the advice that I should take for myself. So I think it's just, you know, think, think big and don't forget to really hang on to your, your support group or your board of directors, as I've been calling it. You've really got my wheels turning. Well, that's a win. (laughs) Yeah. Think big, go for it, be fearless. And what I'm also taking from our conversation is bring bring other women along for the ride. The moment you find people that are like you in your circle is so empowering. So when I see like a Natalie and a Carla that they're like all on my same table, it's like, oh, wow, like immediately I'm energized to bring my best ideas and my best attitude instead of, you know, if I was just the only woman at the table. So amazing. (laughs) So cheers to us. (laughs) Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Yay. (laughs) Thanks so much for inviting me. This was so fun. How amazing was that conversation just now? I mean, she is just a wealth of knowledge. She's so inspiring. So wise. So wise. So wise. That's what I've always thought about her. Every time I talk with her, I'm like, gosh, she's got such a great voice and presence and story that we're getting to hear now. Just yeah. incredible. And so eloquent too. Mm-hmm. Like, gosh, I'm writing down the things that she's saying, like almost like <laughs> yeah. they're going to be quotes that I could put up on my wall. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I was, totally agree. What were some of the things that stood out to you? Oh my gosh. So many. Um, the biggest one I think came towards the end and she said, um, that her scholarship program that she'd utilized for so long has these three principles. And the, and the one that she loves the most is to think big. And the way she describes that of almost challenging your thoughts about what you're able to achieve. And it can be so hard if you don't have anybody in your life who you have to hold up as an example or an expander for you. Getting in that thought frame of thinking bigger than even your biggest dreams and then putting that into action. Cause I think I'm definitely a dreamer, but I don't, I don't think that I challenge my, my dreams very often. I'm just like, yeah, I want to do that. But I don't think like, how, how far could I take this? 
Um, That's such an interesting point. The, yeah. the point that she was saying about college, I definitely have experienced that too of thinking like, like I only applied to one college in the United States. You know, I grew up in Mexico and I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to apply to one school. And if I get in, that means I'm meant to go there. But I think right. sometimes like, like what if I put a little more effort <laughs> and everything worked out great, right? <laughs> Thankfully. Right, um, right, right. But what if, you know, sometimes I start thinking like, what if I had, I had also applied to Stanford? What yeah. if I had, you know, applied to, and had many more choices mm-hmm. with more scholarships to choose from? But I also yeah. think that it is important um, I, I try to, for myself, try to not go there too much. Like the what mm-hmm. if. I was going to say. Right. It's the past. And right. it's good to recognize how things turned out the way that they were meant to turn out. But I think kind of what she was saying, like for me, like moving forward, that is something I'm going to be thinking about is like, am I thinking big enough? I love how she's like, you know, maybe instead of waiting to launch my business until after I work for somebody else, like why not now? Yeah. Um, so I love it. I love that reminder of just, you know, challenges are like, is this big enough? Does it feel mm-hmm. scary? I always. I listen to a, a podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I feel scary. But I listen to a podcast where one of the people, t- um, I'm, I'm listening a lot to to author, this author podcast, this writing podcast. And this um, people they were interviewing was saying, you know, when I have ideas, I will evaluate the ideas according to how scary they feel. And I will go after the one that I'm thinking I probably shouldn't go after that one. That's the one that I go after. And I was thinking, gosh, am I am I bold enough to do that? Like if I have three ideas and <laughs> there's one that I'm like, no, is that the one that I should actually, you know, be going after? Maybe. I, I think there are instances where where the scariness of it yeah. means that it's it's bold. And that's a good I thing. I got goosebumps just even hearing that because I'm like I have some things on my mind right now that are really scary and I keep talking myself out of them and I'm like, maybe mm. I should just like give into it and So yeah, what's the worst? I, I do ask what's the worst? what's the worst that can happen. Yeah, what's the worst? A I lot, but it's just the anxiety talking. <laughs> yeah. But but kind of to Stephanie's point, um, you know, she she talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast was like success for her has been about learning, not necessarily the the external rewards, but really like, what did I learn from this experience? And I think that's such a mature, wise way to, to look at life. You know, yeah. I, I don't, I certainly don't always remember to think of <laughs> situations that way. So, but she's right. That, that is totally a right. Way to think of success. Yeah. Cause you're yeah. never going to fail. Failure is mm-hmm. never going to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to reframe those, those things that happen that you have maybe perceived as a failure. Um, I know when she was talking, a few situations were running through my head and I was like, gosh, if I just reframe that as like, what did I learn from that? Instead of like, don't do that again. Um, it really kind of tones down that voice in your head that says like, oh, God, you really effed up. Yeah. It's much kinder. I, lo- I love her perspective. I think that's so great. Too. What about what about you? What was like the one, what was the one big area that stood out for you from our conversation? The biggest thing that I'm going to be thinking about days later, you know, days after now is really this, this, the importance of, of bringing along other women and, you know, and, and what you're, what you're doing. I feel like when I was working in corporate, that was very naturally, those opportunities were very naturally given to me because I was in positions of leadership. I didn't have to seek out, you know, younger women, you know, other Latina women to, to support. It was kind of like just the expectation even 
that I was going to do that. And now that I'm an entrepreneur, I I support other women through my work, but I'm challenging myself to to answer the question, how often am I doing that without the expectation of being paid for it, you know, without expecting something in return? Like how often am I doing it because it's a way for me to to, mm-hmm. to give back and because it's my duty. Like it really I do see it as my responsibility as uh, a woman, a Latina woman who has had tremendous opportunities to to make sure that the future generations are also having those opportunities. So, so that's something that I'm going to be thinking about is how do I, how do I give back um, mm-hmm. now as an entrepreneur yeah, um, in similar or maybe different ways than I was than when I was in corporate. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a really good point you bring up is, you know, being in a big corporation does lend you so many opportunities, but again, you're talking to, a lot of people who, I mean, they're all in your same company, right? So they're all kind of in the same boat with you. But when you expand that out beyond your little circle of influence, it becomes a lot harder, number one, to find those people, but they're there, right? In other communities that you have. And I think for that's sure. where the greatest opportunity lies for being that expander for other people. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. This was so fun. So fun. Thank you so much, Natalie. I had a great, great time with you and Stephanie. Yeah, it was so I I am looking forward to re-listening to this one. I feel Me like this too. is going to be one I keep going back to for for inspiration. Yeah. I, I I took a few notes, so I'm I'm going to look through them and kind of take out I'm serious, I am going to take out little snippets and put them on post-its. Put them <laughs> like on sticky little- notes. You get yeah. those sticky notes up. I will. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So to All right. Our, our- all our listeners, we thank you so much for, for joining us today. And if you like what you heard, we'd love to have it uh, have you share it with your friends and your colleagues. And please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. And with that, I thank you and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Successful. If you liked what you heard, give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at SuccessfulThePod. See you next time.